Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. I'm thankful tonight that he brought deliverance to my life in my night. Amen. If you'll stand with me this evening, let's go to Deuteronomy. Speaking of that book, Deuteronomy chapter number two. We welcome all of our guests that are here tonight. Amen. Guests for the first time, perhaps here. We're grateful for you. Amen. We'd love for this not to be your first time. Amen. Or your last time, rather. Not your last time. First, last, beginning, and the end. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter number two. We're going to begin with verse uh, number four here tonight. Hallelujah. Starting here in our new year. Amen. Season. I'm going to start with verse number four this evening. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible states these words. And again, Deuteronomy is the book of remembrance. A lot of what you read in Deuteronomy, you have read already. In Numbers, you've read in Exodus, because Moses is just recounting what God has done before Joshua essentially takes them over into the promised land. And so the Bible says, And command thou the people, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you, Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land. No, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. He says, Ye shall buy meat of them for money that ye may eat, and ye shall also buy water of them for money that ye may drink. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. He's speaking to Israel. In all the works of thine hand, he knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. And when we pass by from our brethren, the children of Esau, which dwelt in Seir through the way of the plain from Elath and from Ezion, Geber, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. He tells them in verse 4, you to pass through the coast of your brethren. Verse 8 tells us that they pass by from our brethren or from their brethren, the children of Israel. To help the Holy Ghost tonight, I want to minister this. Go beyond the firstborn. Go beyond the firstborn. Father, I come to you tonight, and I'm thankful, Lord, for your spirit. Thankful, God, for every song, Lord, that has been sung. God, lyrics, Lord, that pull, Lord Jesus, Scripture, Lord, together. God, as praises unto you. I pray, O oh Lord, tonight, God, for your anointing. God, upon these lips of clay. God, just but a vessel. 
Lord, if I can be of any use, of any service to you tonight, God, I present, Lord, every faculty of my being. Lord, unto you tonight, God, for the portrayal, Lord, of your word. God, let it find a place, Lord, in our lives. Let it encourage, challenge, Lord Jesus, us. Admonish us, God, through and by that word. And we'll not forget, Lord, to thank you, Lord, for what you accomplish in this place. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. And the church say amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Go beyond the firstborn. We must not underestimate the power of relatives, the power of family ties. We know within the framework of families that parents are major contributors to the direction of their children. We know that our families play a big part, not just in our present, but also in our futures. If not, we would never talk about in our times about generational curses of addictions and patterns of destruction if there were no influence from generations before us. The constant contact, for instance, of a nurturing mother is a very powerful influence within the life of a child. Likewise, studies show fathers impact their offspring tremendously, especially whenever it comes to religious matters. There was an article in Touchstone Magazine entitled The Truth About Men and Church by Robbie Lowe, and he reported that when a mom is a regular churchgoer, but dad attends infrequently or never, just 2 to 3% of their kids will go on to become regular churchgoers. When both mom and dad attend church regularly, 33% of kids will grow up as regular attendees. But the shocker is this, that when dad is faithful and mom never attends, 44% of the kids end up as regular churchgoers. It's the highest outcome of any scenarios because that's the measure of weight of a father in a child's life concerning spiritual matters. And though parents have major footholds in the life of their kids, studies have shown that older siblings have even greater influence on their brothers or sisters than their parents do. Findings reveal that a young brother or sister is more likely, for instance, to smoke cigarettes if their older sibling takes up the habit, even if their parents do not have the habit at all. It has something to do with a younger sibling admiring an older brother or an older sister wanting to be like them or at very least to be older like they are, they say. But among everything that I read, there is a special likeness or a special connection in particular that is formed and there is a strong bond of influence that is created particularly in twins, whether fraternal or whether identical. Many of the things they experience, they say, is because this influence is there because they experience these things at the same time. 
Their lives have been comprised of shared experiences, shared first times, the times that they've had together growing up. Amen. Perhaps most in any other family dynamic has been a shared one. There is a powerful bond of influence between twins. In our text this evening, the children of Israel are passing through or at least passing along the border of the children of Edom. There are two nations of people that are represented here. There are the Israelites and there are the Edomites. The Israelites are the descendants of Israel, whereas also the Edomites are the descendants of Edom. You might better know Israel as Jacob, and you might better know Edom as Esau. But there was the meeting of these two nations, the meeting, if you will, of these two descendants of twins, of Jacob and Esau. Both Esau and Jacob were blessed to a certain measure. Both of them developed nations. Both of them had portions of land. Esau had been settled for a long time in his land before Jacob and the children of Israel were ever settled in their land, which was known to be the land of promise. Esau and Jacob were twins, but they were different in temperament, and they were different in direction, and they were different in attitude. The Bible says and recalls in Genesis that Esau was a man of the field. Vine says this often represents that he was the man of an open field where animals where animals are wild. Thus meaning that this verse could be translated that Esau was a man of the wild. Interestingly, as just a little side note tonight, Esau sowed his birthright whenever he came in from hunting and he had his blessing given to another when he had went out to hunt. He lost his entire inheritance while either coming from or going to what he desired the most. Amen. Esau is one of the Bible's major portraits of a worldly person throughout scripture. He took, the Bible says, a Canaanite wife, wives might I say, because he knew that that would displease his father. Hebrews chapter number 12 speaks of Esau and it describes him as a profane person. It describes him as immoral, godless, that he was irreverent toward those things that were sacred, which could be evidenced in the fact that he sold his birthright, amen, proving that he would much rather just live for the present moment and the present hour. He wasn't willing to fight, amen, for his birthright, but he was willing to fight for a blessing. Esau settled according to the word of God in Mount Sierra, in Mount Seir, in the land of Edom because the land of Canaan supposedly could not bear what he had and what Jacob had when it came to riches and when it came to cattle. And perhaps that is a legitimate reason for Esau not settling in the land of Canaan, but the Bible plainly says, speaking of Esau, and he went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. It's almost as though Esau had to get away from his brother. It's almost as Esau needed just to separate from his twin brother. These twins had been crossing swords from the womb for 
Lord ever since they were conceived in the womb. They had outs with one another of crossing swords from the womb even forward. The Bible declares, just stay with me a little bit, that Rebecca said in Genesis 25, she is conceived, she is with child or children. Jacob and Esau inside of her womb and she takes her petition to God because there's some movement, there's some things that are taking place that seem to be a little peculiar to her. She's talking to other ladies in the community and saying, how was your pregnancy? Because what I got going on here seems to be a little bit much. And she makes her petition to God in Genesis 25. And the Bible says, and the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus, thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Folks, that statement that was made by the Lord unto Rebecca, that statement went against the culture even of their day. It even goes against, amen, the studies that I submitted to you whenever I started out. The older child is the child that's with influence. The older child is the child with authority and you're telling me that the older is going to serve the younger the older twin or the firstborn according to culture if I may customarily had the authority it was the firstborn that customarily had the right but God said the elder shall serve the younger I present to you tonight that these two boys of Jacob and Esau, from the moment of birth even till now and even in Scripture, they are mirrored in Scripture to us, symbols and representations to us of the constant struggle and the constant battle that everybody has between their flesh and between their spirit. The struggle that every Christian encounters from day in and day out, doing that which is good or doing that which is evil. Like the Apostle Paul said I believe it was the things that I would do I do not and the things that I shouldn't do that I do he said there is a warring in my members if you will there's something in me there's two twins that are fighting there's two twins one's trying to get the upper hand over the other there is a war of the flesh and the spirit going on inside my life the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, and this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth or desires and wants against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. I submit to you tonight, amen, on this first month of January that the elder brother, the older twin desires to have power and desires to have influence over the younger's life. You were born ladies and gentlemen, the firstborn of your life was your flesh. The firstborn of your life is entering in through your mother's womb in sin did your mother conceive you. In iniquity were you born. That is the eldest brother. It's one to have power and it's one to have influence over the younger brother because the younger brother is when you were born again of the water and the spirit. Someone hear me. It's when you were born of the water and the spirit, when you were born again. But you got a twin. You got a flesh that is constantly trying to exercise its influence, its power. Oh, someone hear me. It's seniority. 
That elder brother in your life is your flesh and it desires to sway you away from the things of the spirit. And you'll often find yourself in everyday life a little resistance and a little struggle. You'll be like a Rebecca. There's a war going on in your life because one wants to get the upper hand. One does not like the things of God. One does not appreciate the things that are sacred. One... Someone say amen. Amen. But listen, if you will, to the advice of God. The advice that God gave the Israelites, which were descendants of Jacob, concerning the descendants of Edom, which were the descendants of Esau. Notice what God says. He says, as you're traveling... He said, you've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Amen. Because the generation before you said we couldn't do what God said we could do. He said, you've been wandering around for 40 years. He says, you can pass this mountain, this place, this area long enough. It's time for you to go onward and go into your promised land, which I have given unto Jacob. Amen. From eons of time before that I gave to Abraham. Amen. Even his great, great granddad. He said, you need to go into the promised land. But on your way into the promised land he says I'm telling you ahead of time you're going to pass a segment of your relatives on the way to the promised land you're going to pass a segment of your relatives the Bible says they passed by the Edomites they passed by the Moabites they passed by the Ammonites all of them were related to Israel but the Edomites were the closest relatives among them amen going all the way back to Jacob and Esau he said you're going to pass through the Edomites and the Edomites have their source in Esau you can read of it in Genesis 36 whenever God spoke how Esau Esau inhabited Mount Seir and Edom. More than once he said, Esau is Edom. Or Esau is the father of the Edomites. What that means is this. Those descendants, those Edomites, are going to carry the imprint and the influence even of Esau in their generation. Amen. Read your Bibles. You can read it in prophecy. Amen. Of Jeremiah and Obadiah and others. We get a little idea about the character of the Edomites. Scripture tells me that they were known to be strong and they were known to be cruel. They were known to be vindictive. They were known to be idolatrous. They were known to be superstitious. They were known to have a little bit of an air of self-confidence about them. Just to give you an idea, amen, how this thing didn't stop with Esau, but proliferated all throughout his descendants. Whenever you read in the scripture of Samuel, amen, that Saul had some priests that he wanted to be killed. He had some footmen alongside him, and he said, footmen fall upon the these 85 priests and take these Levitical priests' lives. And the footmen looked at Saul and said, no, we're not going to fall upon these priests. But the Bible says he turned to Doeg, who was an Edomite. He turned to Doeg, who was an Edomite, and he said, fall upon these 85 priests. And without any reluctance, without any hesitation, the old Edomite Doeg fell on the 85 of those that were sacred. And he slew them all. Give you an idea that the spirit of Esau didn't stop in his generation but flowed through the line of the Edomites. The Bible says there's another man in the Bible in 1 Kings 11. His name is Hadad. Guess what? He's an Edomite. 
The Bible says during the days of David, he fled unto Egypt. Amen. He kind of laid low as he was in Egypt. He was even a little child. Amen. In Egypt, he fled there. Why? Because he was going to wait on the right opportunity to go back into the land of Israel and recover some of his dominion. The Bible says that he waited until David was dead. And then he went back into the country, amen, to cause mayhem and recover his dominion. And that was an Edomite. Someone say amen. I'm here to tell you tonight that the descendants of Esau, the descendants of the flesh, will do what none other will do. They will wait and they will attack when the opportunity is best, whenever it's tilted in their direction. Hallelujah. Someone say, does anybody know the flesh that I'm talking about? It will lie low. It will lie low until the opportunity is there that it can get the upper hand in your life. Esau's a great representation of our flesh. So God tells Moses, Moses, you tell the children of Israel that they need to be careful. While they're walking along this boundary of the Edomites, you tell them to take heed unto themselves because when they think they stand, they may fall to the influence of the firstborn. They may fall to the influence of the elder brother. And though the Edomites, the Moses said, will be afraid of you and uncertain of you, amen, you got to, you must be cautious of them not to be entangled in disputable affairs with your brethren the Edomites someone say amen verse 5 says in the new international version like this he said do not provoke them to war for I will not give you any of their land he said you're passing by your firstborn brother amen descendants he said don't be given to war because I'm not going to give you any of their land because you must understand war for the children of Israel was only necessary to dispossess people from lands that they were promised to have or from objects that they were promised to have. But he says no fighting Esau or the descendants of Esau because what they have is not what you've been promised. feel like I got to work a little hard here tonight because what you have is not what you've been promised. In other words, he wanted them to know, boys, don't be expending your energies on things that you've not been promised. Can I tell you tonight, folks, there are some fleshly things that arise in our life that they glitter and they sparkle and sometimes we're wanting a part of it but we're wanting a part of something that God's not promised to us. We're wanting a part of something that God's not given us as our inheritance. We're wanting investment in something that he Look what he even tells him. He says, you can walk through their land. You can walk by their land. And he says, if you eat anything of theirs, pay for it. If you drink anything of theirs, uh, do so and drink of it. He said, but by no means get entangled in the relatives and their land. So say amen. The apostle Peter, I think, said it best in New Testament scripture. He told us not to be entangled in the pollutions of the world, especially when we've been brought out of that. He says in 2 Peter 2.20, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. What's he saying? Don't get entangled back in something. 
after God has delivered you from that? Let me speak it like this. There was a good reason why, and this isn't the only time that's there. This is the Old Testament law. He said whenever the walls of Jericho fall down flat, he says let no man rebuild it. Why? Because that was the first adversary to your promise. That was the first stop sign to your promise. And you don't need to build back up something I want tore down. It's just a principle. Pharaoh, Pharaoh saw Israel close to the Red Sea and he said they are entangled in the land. He went as far to say that the wilderness had shut them in. Can I tell you here this evening that there are times in our walk with God that we get entangled in the land that we're supposed to just be passing through. That we get entangled in the land that we are supposed to just be walking along the border of. I am by all means a pilgrim. I am by all things a stranger. Whenever it comes to this world, this whole world is not my home. I'm just passing through. What are you saying? I don't need to get involved or entangled in the land that I'm supposed to be passing through. But I'm praying tonight there's been some people do a survey and mark out their plot, set up their mailbox, build their house, dig their river. We get caught up sometimes in all the minutia of this world. Oh yeah. Told you, Brother Fred, I might preach on it just a little bit. All of the allurements, all of the pleasures, all the enjoyments. To the degree that we counterbalance and we snuff God out. I wrote it down today. It's kind of like we demote God from being Lord of all to the Lord on call. What's that mean? That's mean I'll do it my way, when I want it, how I like to do it, when I want to do it. But if I get in trouble, I know your name. You're not going to be Lord of all, but you'll be the Lord on call. When I get in the fix, whenever, whenever the sickness comes this night to death, or when I've been in the hospital for three weeks, or whenever this happens, I, then, then, then I know the Lord. Folks, listen to me. You need not be entangled in all the things of this world and just make God a on call as I need you, God. I tell you how I need him. Every hour, I need him. We are walking through or at very least like Israel did. Skirting along the border of the land that we cannot or at least need not possess. God says be careful as you pass by there. Why? He says because I don't want you to start coveting what they have. I don't want you to say it's still yet further until we get to what God's promised us. We'll settle for this on this side of the river. We're settling, Brother Zach, sometimes too soon or at all. We're settling. It's easier. It's more comfortable here. 
Let me tell you something, folks. There wasn't anything wrong with them traveling through the land of Esau. There wasn't anything wrong with them traveling along the border of Esau. They just couldn't become so absorbed to it to the degree that they wanted to possess the land. I preached on it just a little bit this morning. And that is many of our pitfalls come from the things that are meant to be for pleasure. Or God supplying the need for us. And sometimes they become desired... And the very things that we become to worship, we sacrifice for. Listen, New Testament scripture, I think it is, let me see here, Luke 14. There wasn't anything wrong with having a piece of lamb. There wasn't anything wrong with having a yoke of oxen. There wasn't anything wrong with having a wife. (laughs) Someone say amen. That's where the men should have really been strong, I'm just telling you. But all of these things, perhaps even accounted as blessings from God, kept people from the banquet table of his love in the parable of Luke 14. One man says, come to the table, come to the feast. One man says, I have land. Excuse me. Another one says, I have a yoke of auction. Excuse me. Another one says, I have a wife. Excuse me. Nothing wrong with land. Nothing wrong with oxen. Nothing wrong with a wife. All in their proper place. All in their proper priority. I got to tell us again, as I said this morning, amen, the greatest, the greatest ploy for us as Christians today is that you're going to do some sinful, horrible thing, but the thing that God had meant for your pleasure and for your good, you're going to overbalance in and you're going to fall down and worship that more than you worship God. John Piper said it like this, if I may convey. He said, the weakness of our hunger for God is not because he is unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. He says the great adversary of love to God is not his enemies but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil but for the simple pleasures of the earth, if I may, for the simple pleasures of our flesh. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Why? Because we'll tout scripture, brother Zach. Every good and perfect gift coming from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither in shadow of turning. It's a gift of God. I should love that. But when you love the gift more than the giver, when you enjoy the pleasure more than the one that made it available for your relaxation and recouping of strength, then somebody is giving attention to the firstborn. Is everybody doing all right? Old Testament scripture, case in point. The brazen serpent in the wilderness. The Bible says a plague fell upon all the children of Israel. They were dying by the dozens. Dead here, dead here, dead everywhere. They're dead, they're dead. It's like old McDonald had a farm. They're dead, they're dead, they're dead, dead. 
And the Bible says that the Lord instructed Moses. He says, you, you make a brazen serpent. You put it on the pole and you lift it up. And whenever the people look at that, he said they'll be healed of their iniquity. God was setting something up in the Old Testament that he was going to play upon all the way in the New Testament. In the book of John, he said, as the serpent was lifted upon the pole, even the Son of Man shall be lifted up. But what happened was the people took the blessing of the means in which God chose to heal them. And they started worshiping it. Nehushtan was the name of it. They started worshiping it. They took God's gift. And they defiled it to the place where it was an idol. They placed it at a higher place than God himself. Somebody hear me right now. That's not the only place we see that. We look through the book of Judges, Judges 6 and 7, and we read of the grand story of Gideon. Amen, how he was to be a great deliverer for his people. This man that the angel spoke to and said, Thou mighty man of valor, and with just a handful of men, he went in and overtook the Midianites and had great, if you will, success with the Lord. But Gideon made the same mistake that many others before him made, and that is they took the pleasure of God and they turned the pleasure into idols because they revered it more than God. Gideon said, folks, he said, I want you to bring to me all the gold that you got from the prey. Not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y. He said, I want you to bring all the gold that you got from the prey. And the Bible says that he made an ephod of all that gold. And he set it up in the city. And he set it there. And lo and behold, the Bible says that the people went a-whoring after it. Amen. That became a snare to them. You know what Gideon basically did? All of that material from their past victories was nothing more but an emblem of their past victories. He says, I'm going to take it and make an ephod. And everybody got snafu'd by praising the past victories God had given them. Are you hearing me? Rather than the God that gave the victory. There's nothing wrong with victory tonight as long as it doesn't overarch your allegiance to the victor. <laughs> it seems according to Numbers 20 that Israel did not go through Mount Seir. Seems as though Eden, Eden did not, Edom did not allow that. But as I've already formally said, they skirted along the edge of the boundary. You can read in verse 8 of our text. If you were to mark the, 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 the way and the path that they took, they were skirting along the edge or the boundary of the descendants of Esau. They traveled the border of it. And in our English Bibles in verse 8 says, And we pass by from our brethren, the children of Esau. Other translations say it like this. So we went on past our relatives, the descendants. One says, so we went on away from our brothers. I like the Amplified and the New King James and the NASB. It says, so we pass beyond. We pass beyond our brothers, the people of Esau. In other words, they said that's where Esau's land is. That's where Esau inhabits. That's where Esau can be violent. That's where his descendants can be vindictive. That's where his descendants are. But we're not, we're not going to stay there. We're not going to stop there. We're going beyond. 
Someone hear me. We're going beyond there. We're going beyond the flesh. We're going beyond the carnal. We're going beyond the worldly. We're going beyond... God, Moses says, don't you stop there. Don't you inherit that. Don't you partake of that. Don't you get an appetite for that. But go beyond Esau. Go beyond the firstborn. Go beyond the Edom. Can I tell somebody tonight that if you and when you get to Canaan, that promised land, you got to pass through. Or if by all means you got to pass by your relatives, your firstborn, your flesh. You got to get beyond your flesh. You got to get beyond the firstborn in your life. I've been preaching 35 minutes, Sister Trout. The New Testament tells us that we must hate. It's New Testament. Strong word. Father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister. Even our own lives to be his disciples. The word hate's real strong. I know some people are like, I hate my father. You're misinterpreting. The actual meaning is this, is that we can't love them or be influenced by them more than we're influenced by God. That's what's conveyed when the Lord says you must hate. What he's saying is they got to be in their proper priority. Why? Because relatives have influence. Whether it be mother, father, sister, brother, twin. Relatives have influence. Someone say amen. Oh God, they do. You just bring up any matter. Start getting the opinion of some in your family. And even if you don't think like that, you might start thinking about that because they think like that. Abraham knew what it was like to be a pilgrim and a stranger. He said he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Israel had to beware of their relatives. They had to beware of the descendants of Esau that they did not come under the same notion as Esau had years ago. Amen. Because there is power in the relatives. Moses spoke to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. Amen. He said, whenever there comes a prophet among you and he has signs and wonders and all these things and the signs and wonders and words that he speak come to pass, he says, let me tell you the test of a prophet. It's not just what comes to pass that he speaks but also is what he's saying biblically sound watch it here this is what he told him and he went from speaking about the the role of a prophet in the life of someone and went from that straight to talking about one's relatives listen to me went straight to talking about one's relatives you can see this in Deuteronomy 13 went from talking about the prophet's influence straight to a relative's influence and he began to tell them I want you to be aware he said if you have any relatives mom, dad, sister or brother that would attempt to persuade you from God you know what he's basically telling them you gotta go beyond the firstborn you gotta go beyond the fleshly influence you have, you have to skirt along the border you don't have to settle for the land He's saying just as powerful as a prophet's word can be the word of a member of your family. And you know his admonition to them was this. He said don't yield to them. Don't listen to them. Show them no pity. Don't spare them. Don't shield them.
the pressure of Zacharias' family in the New Testament would have him name John the Baptist after a family name. But that would have been in direct disobedience to the word of the Lord. Because the Lord said, I want you to name him John. And the Bible says when the moment come and the relatives are saying, let's name him like somebody that's been named before Zacharias opened his mouth after being mute for some time. And he said, his name shall be John. He had to fight. He had to go beyond his brethren. He had to go beyond his relatives. Amen. See, Esau in his lifetime settled for the here and now with his little pottage that he got from his brother and he squandered his birthright for it. But Jacob's descendants, Moses was telling them, you got to go beyond those relatives of Edom. You need to go beyond being delivered from Egypt. You need to be delivered into Canaan. You got to go beyond your bondage and you got to enter into the promised land. The Bible says in Genesis 25 and verse 26, it speaks of the birth of Jacob and Esau. Many of you are familiar with that Esau was born first and the Bible says that Jacob reached forward and took hold of his heel as he's coming out of the, the birthing canal. The meaning of the name of Jacob is, you've heard it before, but let me state it in which one person made it just a little bit more plain. The meaning of the name Jacob is he who follows on the heel. He who follows on the hill. Jacob from birth seemed to be following on the hill of Esau. One was leading. The other one was following. But when Israel was headed to the promised land. Through Moses God was saying, Jacob. You can no longer follow on the hill. You got to go beyond your relative. You got to go beyond Esau. You got to go beyond your flesh. You got to go beyond the firstborn. Now look at this. In Genesis 33, I won't hold you much longer. Sorry. Genesis 33 and verse 12. This is where Jacob meets Esau the first time after a long time of being separated from his brother. The Bible says in he, speaking of Esau, said... Let us, speaking to Jacob, take our journey and let us go, note the word in here, and I will go before thee. Follow on my heels. Verse 14, Jacob says, let my Lord, speaking to Esau, I pray thee pass over before his servant. He says, you go on. He says, and I will lead on softly according as the cattle that go up before me and the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord unto see air. Verse 15, and Esau said, he said, let me now leave thee with some of the folk that are with me. And he said, this is Jacob, what needeth it? Let me find grace in the sight of my Lord. Verse 16, so Esau returned that day on his way into Seir, the very place that Israel's now skirting by. 
and Jacob journeyed to Sukkoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of the place is called Sukkoth. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Upon the time they've been separated for some time, they're coming together. Esau tried to convince Jacob to travel after him to follow him on the hill amen Esau is going to take the lead and say in Jacob you just follow me on my heels but the Bible says Jacob refused as a matter of fact Jacob even makes Esau to believe that he may eventually come to Mount Seir <laughs> but when he really journeyed he journeyed to Canaan now look, the verse says, where is it? Verse number 15, look at Esau. This is your firstborn. This is your flesh. Jacob, follow me. Oh, no, I don't, no, no, no use in doing that. You go on. I'll make it my way to see air someday. Wink, wink. And then Esau, the firstborn, the flesh says, let me leave some of my folk with you. Let me leave some of what's mine. With you. And Jacob says, I'm going beyond that. He said, what need is it? What need do I have of some of your folk? What need do I have of some of your livestock? What need do I have of some of your... So what do I need? He says, I'm just going to depend upon the grace and the might of my God. I wish somebody in this new year would look at their flesh and say, what need do I have of whatever you are trying to offer me? What need do I have of the pleasures and the entertainment and the limelight that you're trying to owe me? I'm just going to depend on the grace of God. I'm going beyond Esau. I'm going beyond the descendants of Edom. I'm going beyond my flesh. I don't have need of anything that's yours. I've got God. What I believe is part and parcel of the deciding factor here in Jacob's life is before the meeting with Esau, he had had a meeting with an angel of the Lord. Before his meeting with Esau, he had wrestled with an angel by the river of Jabbok. Before he had a meeting with the flesh, he had already had his name changed. Before he had a meeting, he had already had an encounter with God. And Jacob set a precedent for his descendants. And he set a precedent for his generation to follow him. Boys, you don't have to follow on the heels of that. You can go beyond that. You, you, God's made you the head and not the tail. And somebody hearing me right now? God's made you the head and not the tail. From the womb, he said, the elder's going to serve the younger. There's no reason for you following the wills and the desires and the wants, if you will, of the flesh. He said, you are going to go beyond that. Amen. You're going beyond the firstborn. Stand with me tonight. So as they are trekking, this new generation is trekking toward the land of promise. Moses reminds them, you're skirting along the border of Edom. The descendants of Esau 
the vindictive, the violent, those that do not concern their lives with the sacred. He said, here's my advice. Go beyond your kinsmen. Go beyond your relatives. They have great influence and pool. But I'm telling you to go beyond them. You can read it in verse number seven. Why Why in the world? Why in the world, Lord? Why are you speaking these things? He says, I'll tell you why. He says, because whenever I look at your lives, he said, the Lord your God, you look at it, verse seven, the Lord your God has blessed you in the works of your hands. And he's known you're walking through this wilderness journey for 40 years. And God has been with you. And note what he says, and you have lacked nothing. Esau and the Edomites, they became a great nation. Dukes upon dukes of people. They had dukes serving over them before they had kings. It was quite a vast nation. Had a lot of stuff. Yeah, livestock. A lot of stuff. But Jacob says, I'll pass. Because what you have is not what God promised me. As alluring as it is, and as innumerable as it is, God has something for me. And I don't have to follow on your heels to have something. I've been in wilderness travels and have lacked nothing because I had God. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. Huh? Rather than to be a king of a vast domain, you can have it. I've not lacked anything. I'm going beyond. What? Yeah, I'm going beyond that. We raise our hands all across this place. I'm going beyond that. I'm going beyond that. Will there be somebody in their spirit this year that says, Brother McGee, I'm going beyond. I'm going beyond. I followed on the heels. I followed on the heels of fleshly things. My spirit, my spirit in the last year, somewhere along the way, from taking lead is being led. By fleshly things. But I hear the voice of heaven clear tonight. That I don't need anything of it. In order to bring the promise that God has for me. To bear into fruition. I'm going to go beyond. They've offered you some of their folk. They've offered you some of their goods. They've offered you their allurements. They have offered you your comfortable living. Your pastor tonight. Things that God, no doubt, some of these things that God just means for our pleasure, for recouping from work and all of that. But sometimes we go overboard. That we find more pleasure in those things. 
things than we find in God who offered us some type of pleasure. And we're proverbially like the proverb, I got land, excuse me, Lord. I got oxen, excuse me, Lord. I got this to attend to and this to manage, excuse me, Lord. Somebody needs to go beyond that tonight. Somebody needs to go beyond that. There's a war in our members, flesh against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. It's not leaving anytime soon. So the only thing that we can really do is learn the principle to get beyond it. These altars are open. If anybody wishes to entertain an altar tonight, I'm not going to force anybody, prod anybody, or get on my hands and knees and beg and plead. But I believe I feel the spirit of the Lord here. And I know what God spoke to me this week, all this week, burning this in my soul and my spirit, that we need to go beyond the firstborn, beyond the flesh, beyond that first nature that we were given in birth. We need to get beyond. We're skirting along the border, skirting along the boundary. But we don't have to invest in that. God says, I'm not even going to give you a piece of it to set your foot. Why, God? Because that's not what I've that's not what I've proclaimed for you. That's not the promise I've proclaimed for you. People are settling for less than what God has for them. People are settling for less. Go beyond it. Go beyond the firstborn.
can just bow our heads tonight I'll pray a prayer of dismissal over us pray that we would somehow adopt a spirit that would say I'm going to go beyond God I pray oh Lord this evening God help us God to have a type of mindset God to go beyond Lord where our entrance has been God, to go beyond 
Lord, the things that our flesh would want or desire for us. God, that we would be led by the Spirit of God. That we would walk after the Spirit of God. Lord, that we would practice the things, God, that it would desire and want for us. Knowing, God, that it is the things that you want. The things that you desire for us. Help us, God, not to settle. God, for lesser things. Help us, God, not to settle. Lord, for things that will just appease. That are easily came by without a struggle. God, help us, Lord, to be sold out to you. The things of you. God, not to follow on the heels of our firstborn. But God, to take the lead by the Spirit. God, and just make headway in that direction. Knowing that you have a land of promise awaiting us. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah and amen. Please be reminded that this week is prayer revival and media fast. Every night the doors of the church are open from 7 to 8. With that being said, there is no quote-unquote connect groups on Wednesday. We'll be here for prayer. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.